You might think the most challenging aspect of partnering with Chinese people is understanding their way of thinking or their xing tai. But there's something else that's even more challenging. How to embrace another way of thinking when it's vastly different from your own. In Chinese culture, xing tai goes well beyond how someone thinks. It includes the state of their psyche and attitude towards how certain things make them feel based on the associated face or mianzi. That's to say, it is much more than just their attitude. Understanding how Chinese people feel or their xing tai includes knowing their perceptions, which can cause negative emotions and friction with others. A person's xing tai is an integral aspect of their mentality, but the tipping points that trigger an adverse reaction are largely unknown. And since most people don't even think to consider someone's xing tai, these unknown unknowns often lead to an escalation of events and negative feelings, which happened to me at our Tianjin factory. So how do you know if you're approaching this mysterious tipping point and how can you become more mindful and considerate to avoid its consequences? Our culture and the society norms we live by heavily influence the way we feel about certain things. For example, have you ever refrained from doing something because it might be embarrassing? Peer pressure and societal stigma often regulate behavior more effectively than laws. And Chinese society is no different in this regard. Therefore, one of the keys to predicting Chinese behavior is better understanding what Chinese society has to say about it. But my guess is the answers will surprise you. So let's dissect a couple of examples. One of the benefits of my paratrooper management assignment was having my own personal assistant. After informing the local HR that I wanted to hire someone with sales experience to be more of a marketing assistant than just a personal assistant, I received a stack of resumes to review. They were primarily female and they all had photos attached. Sure, if you're a guy, there's no reason not to want an attractive assistant, but the telling thing was how blatantly everyone assumed that I would want to hire an attractive female. Even the female HR staff weren't pretending that I might want to hire the most qualified person. After narrowing my choices, I was given the same advice by both Richard and the HR manager. Make sure you ask if they are married and if they have a child. Young ladies are at risk of resigning after company paid maternity leave, so it is quote-unquote safest to hire someone who's already married and has had a baby. Furthermore, if you hire someone single, they often quit after getting married, or it could lead to other problems. Today, the one-child policy no longer exists, but some progressive attitudes have been slow to catch up. Hey, Gene, we're about to conduct interviews for another assistant. Do you want to join? Motorola was my key account when I was working for a Japanese components manufacturer in 2010. And I traveled frequently to our factories in China to align design-related decisions and because I spoke Chinese. The new opportunities I had developed at Motorola after getting on the PSL or preferred suppliers list was keeping our factory in Tianjin operating at optimal capacity. 
along the way, had developed good Guanxi relationships with the local Chinese managers and staff there. My standard MO is humble and as low-key as possible, but more importantly, friendly. I could talk and drink Chinese tea, play local card games and mahjong, and even engage in local bagua conversations as if I was one of them. Bagua is the gossip that Chinese people love. The point is, my guanxi had deepened to a level where Lu Wei, the highest level local Chinese manager, wanted to involve me in their hiring rituals, just for fun. The experience was a bunch of guys on one side of the conference room table interviewing gals like it was Hooters. After each interviewee, we discussed her looks, personality, and perceived tolerance for alcohol. Although this probably happens less today, this was a scene just a decade ago. So it's useful to keep in mind how things are evolving and which attitudes might remain. Chinese drinking culture is famous, or perhaps infamous depending on your point of view. But what about drinking poison? I recall a company party when I learned that Sanmei, which are the kanji characters for our company, Mitsumi, were referred locally as Sanbei. That's because everyone must bottoms up three glasses of Baijiu whenever there's a Ganbei during a company party. Yeah, that's three shots of 100 proof alcohol every time there's a celebratory group drink or individual face-giving cheers. Baijiu is expensive if you purchase it at the restaurant, but you're allowed to bring alcohol if you reserve a baofang or private VIP room. On this occasion, some colleagues purchased several cases of Baijiu beforehand at a local convenience store because they knew there would be lots of celebratory drinking. With an endless supply of Baijiu, uh, the festivities were on. No customers, no clients, just colleagues from different departments celebrating the start of a new production line for Motorola. The next day, I awoke with the worst hangover of my life. I barely made it into the office, arriving about 40 minutes late to discover I wasn't the only one still dealing with the consequences of last night's drinking. More than half the crew didn't show up, and I would later learn that several had been taken directly to the hospital that evening. We drank fake alcohol. The surprising thing is, in the aftermath of our calamity, no one seemed to complain about buying fake alcohol and possibly dying as a result. No one was even remotely interested in reporting the offending convenience store, even though several colleagues wound up in the hospital. Everyone just thought it was some sort of bad luck or misfortune that could happen to anyone. My experience in Tianjin represents the Chinese xingtai towards something quote-unquote local. But it usually works in the complete opposite direction as guanxi deepens, which would be counterintuitive for most Westerners. Less forgiveness is one of the cons of deeper guanxi relationships, but it also comes with the territory. Our mission is to better understand the xingtai of Chinese people as this is the best predictor of how someone will react, and it can serve as a guide to reaching a more desirable outcome. 
If you want to change your results in China, study the Xintai of your Chinese associates and learn how to influence how they feel. After several years and many design wins, my guanxi with Lu Wei and others at the factory in Tianjin had become pretty good. The Japanese managers became they, while quote unquote we were the Chinese people. My relationship with Motorola's in the design cycle was also excellent. I had facilitated joint projects between Motorola supply chain management, design centers of excellence, and product development teams all over the world with our Tianjin team directly. Lu Wei and the local Chinese team always appreciated the personal correspondence and gratitude expressed whenever they met a Motorola target or request. Whenever I told them Ray, the supply chain manager, was appreciative, or Robert, the head of product development, wanted to say thanks personally to our team in China, it always seemed to make them feel proud and connected. It was a perfect synergy, and I had created an ideal arrangement. We'd become a Motorola preferred supplier, so we could participate in product development early in the design cycle, and our small factory and small design team. Had become very engaged in winning more Motorola business, which meant my presence there became more frequent, and I was even given a dedicated desk since I was there so often. Then one day I got a call from Ray, Gene. We have an emergency. We need you to ask your factory to increase production because we need more products for the promotional launch of our latest droids. It's not your fault, but we're going to need daily delivery schedules and all hands on board to help us through this crisis. I booked the next flight to Tianjin, China, departing from Atlanta, which is more than 24 hours in total transit time plus a 12-hour time difference. I arrived in our factory in Tianjin about 36 hours after receiving Ray's call. On day one, Lu Wei and our team in China were eager and willing to help. We work from morning till midnight every night, having conference calls daily with Motorola's in Chicago, Atlanta, and Singapore. Everyone at Motorola appreciated our efforts, but they had so many suggestions to push the delivery times just a little bit faster. The pressure was on. We made hourly forecasts and even arranged to hand carry goods to where they were needed, sorting flight schedules by the hour. Then suddenly, as I was interpreting Motorola's latest suggestions, Lu Wei's always cheerful demeanor changed. Every time Motorola made a demand, I would pass those requests to the factory, and inadvertently imply that it was their responsibility to do what was necessary. I pushed Lu Wei and his team past the tipping point, when there was so much more I could have done to manage the tone. And responsibility sharing of our efforts. Zhuren is the responsibility that one assumes, and I should have emphasized more that Motorola was entirely to blame for any shortfalls in production because they didn't correctly forecast their demand. Zhuren Gan is the responsibility that an individual feels they have towards a particular endeavor or outcome, and there was no reason for me to put pressure on Lu Wei. That he should bear the burden of this responsibility. Zhuren and each individual's zhuren gan 
depends heavily on face, how much was given and how much was received. These nuances are subtle, but my relationship with Lu Wei was never the same after this ordeal. In hindsight, this crisis was a missed opportunity to deepen Guanxi with my colleagues in Tianjin. Instead, it became a wedge between Lu Wei and me. In English, there's an expression, when the rubber meets the road. And when the rubber met the road in Tianjin, I was no longer one of them. Hey, this is Gene. Only two more episodes left in season one. So, how do you embrace another way of thinking when it's so vastly different from your own? The answer is, you need to decode their xing tai, or how they feel, and reprogram your attitude. As always, I hope you're enjoying the China Myth Podcast and that it is helping you change your perspective regarding what you can influence to create a winning outcome. My hope is that by sharing the nuances of real stories of what actually happened, it might help you avoid what you don't want to happen. So I hope you're subscribed and I would love it if you would share this podcast with someone else who might find it interesting or helpful. And remember too, that we have a YouTube live recap Q&A and Chinese concept review every Tuesday. See you on the next episode or see you live on YouTube.